Broadcasting from the ESPN Radio Studios in Tallahassee, Florida, and in partnership with the JoeBucksFan.com podcasting network, this is the Joe Bolts Fan Podcast with Tom Lang. Find me two more wins and I found you the right to play for the Stanley Cup. This is the Joe Bolts Fan Podcast, part of the JoeBucksFan.com podcasting network, brought to you all postseason long by our great friends at Bill Curry Ford. My name is Tom Lang. I'm fired up on a Thursday. So the long wait was over. Got to see the Islanders and the Flyers play a full seven games with a lengthy Game 6 in which Philadelphia tried to give it away and then they forced the pivotal Game 7. The Islanders respond last Saturday with a rousing 4 to nothing win to punch their ticket to the Eastern Conference Finals. But they were beleaguered because two nights later they needed to hop on a plane. They needed to go into a different bubble, get into different surroundings, and play a well-rested, well-oiled machine known as the Tampa Bay Lightning. Right out the gate this week. Because it's game week for the Buccaneers. JoeBucksFan.com is hopping. I want to say a special thank you to Bill Curry Ford. And I want to let you know about the deals of Bill Curry Ford. We're going to get into so much in just a moment. Bill Curry Ford, General Manager Sean Sullivan, does not mess around when it comes to his love for Bucks fans, or Lightning fans for that matter. He will help you personally by phone, email, or inside the beautiful Bill Curry Ford showroom, one mile north of Raymond James Stadium. Sean Sullivan says he'll give you a Scuttlebucks, which we also do, myself and Jeff Cameron, Joe Bucks fan, Joe Bolts fan discount, and he will do everything he can to help you at Bill Curry Ford. Everything. That's the family service you can expect from Bill Curry Ford. Tampa's first family of Ford for the past 60 years. Get shopping today at BillCurryFord.com. That's BillCurryFord.com. Today you're going to hear from John Cooper. Today you're going to hear from Victor Hedman. I'm going to give you my thoughts on Steven Stamkos and the mystery surrounding Steven Stamkos. Of course, I'm going to offer some thoughts on Braden Point and the 2-0 series lead that began with the aforementioned 8-2 shellacking over Barry Trotz's New York Islanders. That was on Monday night. There is not a whole lot to take away from that game when you're trying to project forward for the series. We knew that the Islanders were much better than what they had shown in Game 1. And go back a few years. As Lightning fans, if you go back to 2004, when we played the Philadelphia Flyers in the Eastern Conference Finals, and that series for me was just as entertaining, if not a skosh bit more than the Calgary Stanley Cup Final Series, you play a knockdown, drag-out series against Keith Primo and that Flyers team that had so many legends of the game, the chauvinistic Jeremy Roenick, Tony Amante, among others, and you're worn out. Two days after you close out the Flyers by a 2-1 to final, you get to play the Calgary Flames, who have been waiting. And what happened? Early goal for Calgary, then Jerome McGinley on a breakaway, stopped by Hobby Bullen, second chance in the net. And the next thing you know, the Flames are rolling. They're up 1-0 in the series. Same kind of thing happened to the New York Islanders this time around. We were the Flames in this equation. And we were ready to pounce. Can you believe it? I know it's been broadcast everywhere. Social media, television, radio, you name it. The Tampa Bay Lightning only missed the net one time in game one. On all of the shots they took, they were either blocked, in the net, saved by the goaltender, or in one singular instance, 
did they miss the net? It was Cedric Paquette with a couple minutes to go. That's absurd. That's like a pitcher throwing a 125-pitch complete game shutout, and he throws 122 strikes, three balls. That's crazy. Just really absurd. But that was the lightning on Monday. We were ready to go offensively speaking, and the Islanders were a step and a half behind. Not just a step. You could see it as they were scrambling to cover in their own defensive zone, as they were trying to get out in transition. They weren't ready. And screw them. I don't care. Good. That's the whole point. That's why you close series out early when you have the opportunity to do so. That's why even after we get down one nothing to Boston, you can salvage an advantage over your next opponent. And guess what? It doesn't matter how you get to four. It just matters that you get to four before the other team does. And so we were spotted a head start. More than in just the rest department, we were spotted a head start. But how do you parlay that into game two? And that's what last night was all about. What a war of attrition game two was. And for Tampa to find a way to win that game, I don't want to say it's a backbreaker. I saw that a lot last night. I don't want to say it's a backbreaker for the Islanders because this Islanders team is incredibly resilient. They're not good enough to feel bad about themselves in this spot. The underdog mentality knows no bounds. See Rocky 1 and Rocky 2. Rocky came back for more in the second movie. That's what these Islanders are going to try and pull off. And if Braden Point is hurt, they've got a better chance to do it. But that's the deal. You had to bounce back in game two from these pieces of adversity. Alex Kalorn ejected in the first period, minutes into the game, for a late and stupid hit. You know, I'd been hinting at this in the Great Bolt Breakdown, and it's just time I say it. He's not a smart player. He does more stupid things than he does smart things. Got a great shot. Pretty good player. Tough. But not all that smart. So spare me, Keith Jones and others, talking about his Harvard education as though that's some correlation to a greater intelligence that he has on the ice. Because it isn't. He makes more low IQ hockey plays than he does high IQ hockey plays. Icings, turnovers, Late hits, offensive zone penalties. Any of these ring a bell? If you watch 17 closely, you see it a lot. He better hope we win the cup this year because he won't be winning one with Tampa anytime soon if it doesn't happen this year. He's too expensive. We got to get let him go. That's not about the personal feelings I have towards his play, that kind of thing. He's just too damn expensive, and he is expendable. He doesn't have a no-trade clause. Well, He's got a limited one that we can use. But that's just a ridiculous penalty. It's not even the dirtiest play of the night. Barclay Goodrow's hit later in the game on the same Brock Nelson. I mean, he had already finished him off in the play, but he gives him one high cross check against the glass for good measure. And for me, that play was dirtier, and that one deserved, if not a five-minute major in a game misconduct, it deserved a lot. But it went uncalled. Good thing, because we were down to nine forwards. Why? The second piece of adversity, Braden Point gets hurt. He falls going into the boards. That's at least what we assume, because if you go by just his last shift on the ice, nothing really looked like it got jarred there. Looked like he was trying to maintain what he could and came off the ice, and you saw he had a hard time climbing over the boards, and he had to leave the rink, and that was the second time on the night that he needed to leave the bench area. Didn't come back. You lose your best player on at forward. I know that Nikita Kucherov had five points in game one, and obviously he was an unbelievable force all over the ice last night in game two, but there's no doubt to this point 
your two best players not named Vasilevsky are Victor Hedman and Braden Point in no particular order. Probably Point first. So you're down to nine forwards, three lines. You're supposed to have four of them, and you're down to three. And your best player in that forward group is gone. What do you do? I got to tell you, middle of the third period of this game, it felt like, well, if we can get past this five on three, we've got a chance. We don't say die. We don't give in. And that's the alluring thing about this hockey team is go back to the five overtime game against Columbus. What a tone setter that is for the personality of this group in the Toronto bubble and now in the Edmonton bubble. We're not afraid of adversity. We used to be so afraid of adversity. And now, if it smacks us in the face, Kucherov is not available in the Boston series. Hedman's status is up in the air. Steven Stamkos, get to him a little bit later, like I said. Not a part of the process in the bubble, beyond maybe some stuff behind the scenes. Braden Point gets bounced. Alex Kalorn tossed out of the game. Officiating doesn't go your way. Man, this team just fights back over and over and over again. And frankly, in game two, I thought from about the eight-minute mark to the three-and-a-half, four-minute mark of the third period, meaning that's how much time is remaining. So I guess that's technically the 12-minute mark to the 16-and-a-half. I thought we went for it. Once we had killed the penalties, we had survived. Andre Vasilevsky, he just stood so tall for us to get us through those key moments. I thought we went for it. It looked like we were airing it out. There's not much left in the tank, but the way the forwards were all over the ice, the way we were relentlessly throwing our bodies around, full steam ahead into the offensive zone, it seemed like it's now or never, and we didn't get the goal we were looking for. I was worried that that just might be a matter of we're running on empty and New York has a hell of a lot more depth. It's like the exact opposite, right, of game one where there's only so much rotating you could do of that of that top nine because you don't have another three. <laughs> so heading into the last couple of minutes, I mean, if you're handicapping overtime, it's just either you get lucky early in the overtime period or it gets harder and harder and harder to carry the day. And then the unthinkable happens, especially for Islanders fans. You get three good chances, and the third time was the charm. Yanni Gord breaks in with under 30 seconds to go. It's a backhand chance on Varlamov. Saved. Puck works its way around. Kucherov relays the puck between the circles. Andre Palat, point-blank chance, misses the net. Islanders have the puck. They fire it up the far side boards. Turnover. Ryan McDonough's got the puck. He and Nikita Kucherov make eye contact, according to McDonough. Puck goes across the net, across the face of Varlamov, and Kucherov shoots it back into Varlamov, but it doesn't matter. When you're off balance and you get the puck towards the net, good things can happen. Banks it off of Varlamov, 2-1, to one, under 10 seconds to go. Thanks for playing. Unreal. Here is John Cooper, and, and this is, to me, about as emotional as you'll ever hear or see John Cooper, but here is a clip of Tampa Bay's head coach as he talked about the Lightning win, and what it meant to fight through all of that adversity. John, you called this a gutty win a couple different times. In your mind, is there a greater compliment for a hockey team? Never really thought about it that way. And in a moment of asking me that, I don't know if there is. Um, you know, gutty might be that slang word for it, but it uh, consumes, you know, 
character, resiliency, perseverance, adversity. It it, it really that's what it was, and and uh, yeah, just unbelievably proud of the guys. If you saw the press conference on Fox Sports Sun, and they do such a good job with the post games, don't bother with the NBC Sports post game, folks. If you don't know about it, you go to the old Sunshine Network Fox Sports Sun about five minutes after the game is over, and you'll have Rick Peckham, Bobby the Chief Taylor, Brian Engblom giving you breakdowns. Dave Andertruck sometimes sits in for Engblom. They'll give you breakdowns. They'll give you the press conferences, and they'll actually talk about the best team left in the playoffs. Unlike NBC Sports who always takes the side of the Northeastern team with the big media market. Tampa's got a big media market. They've got a passionate fan base of hockey fans. And guess what? We're really damn good at the game of hockey. NBC Sports doesn't care about that. Eddie Olchick was crying in his Cheerios this morning because Nikita Kucherov took the game away from the Islanders last night. They gush about Boston. They gush about the Islanders. Do you know if Boston or the Islanders won this exact type of game last night, how passionately NBC Sports analysts at the desk or on the play-by-play broadcast would be talking about those teams? But because they wear the blue and white, we are discarded. I don't know what it is. In the last 15 years, we win a lot. We win a lot of trophies. We win a lot of banners. We go to a lot of all-star games, Hart trophies, Vesna trophies, Norris trophies, Art Ross, Rocket Richard, Stanley Cup 16 years ago. We've done it all. But no, the Islanders team that hasn't won a cup since Trottier, treating it like it's their own home broadcast. Ridiculous. Sorry, let me get that off my chest. All right. Fox Sports Sun, they do a wonderful job. And if you saw the postgame from Cooper last night, after he answers that question, he has to gather himself. He wasn't just fired up with elation after that game was over, and you saw the triple fist pump. It went viral. The GIF, the video, all of it. He was emotional because he knew how hard it was. And guys, we're going to have to find a way to win two more. If Braden Point's not available, we're going to have to find a way to win two more games before the Islanders win four. Here's the thing, though. Look at the way we play, our style, our commitment to the style. Tampa hasn't always had the will of a champion. They've had the skill of one for a long, long time. Now, we've got the will of a champion. It'll be put to the test tomorrow night, USA Network, 8 p.m. It'll be put to the test Sunday, 3 p.m., and then we'll see how many games afterwards. My thoughts on Victor Hedman, the leader, Steven Stamkos in the bubble. Yes, no, the answer is yes, and more. This is the Joe Bolts Fan Podcast. Hey Bucks fans, the time is here. Opening day is Sunday and we have got a watch party with Ira Kaufman. Lots of fired up Bucks fans at Big Storm Brewing Company, the tap room in Clearwater right there. 12707 49th Street North, just south of Ulmerton Road. They've got a brand new 3,000 plus square foot outdoor covered area. Lots of fresh air, social distancing, TVs, A plus food. Florida's best craft beer, and of course, you can go indoors if you want to enjoy the beautiful Big Storm Brewing Company tap room that you all know and love. Get all the details at JoeBucksFan.com. Shameless plug time. Also here on the JoeBucksFan.com podcasting network is the Scuttlebucks. Jeff Cameron and myself from ESPN Tallahassee will be breaking down Tampa Bay Buccaneers football once a week, all season long. Look forward to doing that. First episode is today, Thursday, 
September the 10th. That should be fun. Sunday, man, two TVs. Now, y'all know which one's going to be on the primary position. TV one is going to be Tampa Bay and the Islanders game four. Hopefully, we're going for a, a series victory. Um, that's at 3 o'clock on NBC. And then TV two, which is still prominent. It's 50-incher, guys. I'm not messing around in COVID times. I'm doubling up. Uh, that will be Buccaneers and Saints kickoff at 425. Excited for the Buck season. We are an affiliate of said Tampa Bay Buccaneers here in Tallahassee. You're proud to be. But I'm more excited about the chance to win the Stanley Cup because we're six wins away. It's going to be a hard path to get there no matter who the opponent is. And one opponent, to be sure, is adversity. Braden Point's absence could loom massively. You can expect that a Mitchell Stevens or a Carter Verhege would draw in, maybe both. If you're trying to roll four lines, that could be an option. If Braden is if Braden is out, maybe you bring one of those two guys, both of them in. You can play 6D and then roll four lines deep uh, to do the same thing that we've been doing with the defense the last little while, which is, listen, if you don't feel great about everybody's health or you're not so sure how some of these guys can be trusted beyond the 10 or 12-minute mark, all right, in terms of time on ice, let's roll them out. Let's spread the minutes. Could do that with the forwards. I was going to go to Victor Hedman first, but let's go to Steven Stamkos. There has been a shroud of mystery, rumor, innuendo over the last couple of weeks, especially in the social media sphere. Uh, seen some, it's been legitimized by questions and press conferences. Where exactly is Stamkos? Because anytime somebody else is injured, right? Anytime somebody uh, else is injured or inactive or whatever, it seems like, the world feed for the Stanley Cup playoffs can find said player in the stands of a game. They've got a mask on, they're up with the owners or whatever, and you see a shot of those players taking in the action. Haven't seen that at Stamkos, have you? I think that's really the, the genesis of these questions. So, here's what I know. Steven Stamkos is in the bubble. It appeared last night on social media, at least I was told, that Stamkos uh, was a part of some of the background shots of, of Lightning Instagram. He is in the bubble. Julian Breezewas said he's not available for this round. I'm not so sure. I, I, listen, when somebody says something about Stamkos, I believe the opposite at this point, right? Because we were told that he is going through his own physical training, his own therapy and rehabilitation as the team was going through phases one, two, three, and four, right? And, and that the, we're on schedule. By the time we get into the three play-in games and the seeding games, for this year's Stanley Cup playoffs, Stammer would be available in Toronto for said games. And he wasn't. Now they say he's not available. So I'm going to say maybe he is. Maybe he is. But if there was mystery for a little while about is Stammer in Toronto, is he in the bubble? I, I don't think there is now. He's there. The question is, can he play? In his absence, the leader that is, number 77, has been remarkable. And he said something last night that I think is just Alpha Dog 101. It's very subtle. And I don't even know that you can tell all that much because of his accent. You know, obviously Swedish is his native language. But he says something as he sits alongside Nikita Kucherov that I thought was so noteworthy and such a move by a true leader. Here is what he said. He was asked about the forwards having to play with just nine guys, having to rotate and play hard. What were his observations of what the forwards did. A lot of credit goes to our forwards today. You know, the guy sitting next to me was unbelievable. He was all over the ice. And, uh, you know, when you have your most skilled player do that, it rubs off on, on everyone else. So, uh, you know, our forwards showed uh, a lot of resiliency today. And 
made a big play at the end, obviously. Yeah, exactly. In the middle of that, what do you say? Obviously, when your best player, most skilled player does it, it rubs off on everybody else. That is a suggestion. While there is praise in one hand, there is a suggestion in the other. This is the standard you have to live up to, 86. It's what leaders do. They create accountability. They create expectations. And they demand that you are accountable to those expectations. That's what Hedman's doing right there. Sitting right next to Nikita Kucherov, praising him for what he did, praising the forwards for how hard they worked. And he said, they've got no choice, Nikita, if you, the best and most skilled player in that forward group, are doing what you did tonight. If you look at Victor Hedman's post-game press conferences, no matter who he's flanked by, another defenseman or forward, Andre Vasilevsky in one case, they look at him before they answer the question. If it is a question for either of the two players, so some media members will say, for either of you guys, what did you see tonight out of the Boston Bruins, right? They always look at Victor before they speak. Do you want to speak or should I speak? That's a subtle nod and a subtle indicator to the leader that Victor Hedman is, especially in the absence of Steven Stamkos. And for my money, I believe he's a captain anyway. He just happens to wear the A and not the C. I've said it in the past, and I'm not going to turn it into this type of discussion where I don't believe that Steven Stamkos is a traditional captain. He's done so much more since I said that last season. He's done a lot more. Throws his body around, throws his words around, plays defensively, selfless player offensively as well. Steven does about as much as he possibly can to motivate the group. I just think that when you are Victor Hedman and you're scoring goals left and right, it's hard to say no to that guy. And I'm glad that we have him on our side because his voice is gaining that type of command in the media just like I think it does have a stranglehold of that command in the dressing room. So moving forward in this series, what are the keys? Well, Braden Point's got to get healthy at some point. Probably need to end it, uh, end up using 12 forwards, I would think, if he's not available. Verhage, Stevens, you got to spread the love around a little bit. Looks like Anthony Sorelli is going to get the bump up to the top line. All right. Tony C still doesn't look 100% to me, but he's playing better. I think he's just gutting it out. Hopefully we hear a story about that at the end, or else if he was healthy this whole time, then there are some concerns we can talk about as it pertains to restricted free agency and, and how much money we should spend. Uh, but also, defensively, we need to get a little bit cleaner exiting our zone. That was the one bad thing in game one. You know, you win 8-2, to two, and so it masks a lot of things. But I thought we looked very rusty. We were not up to speed defensively when it came to zone exits. If you think about the turnovers, you think about the first pass out of the D zone, a lot of our guys, the usual suspects, I might add, did not play very well. But 8-2, to two, everybody feels like singing Kumbaya. The good thing is, in game two, man, markedly better. We understood the situation. And, and that's half the battle, right, in all sports. You can't run the same play in the red zone or, or first and goal from the eight that you can first and 10 from the 20. If you're backed up inside your own 15-yard line, first and 10, you're not going to call a long-developing pass play, right? Same thing in hockey. You know, if you only have nine forwards and you've got a choice for a pass to the middle of the ice or to get it behind the net and cycle, you got to choose to get it behind the net and cycle. There's just, there is no choice. The situation demands that you can't be doing the turnover thing or the high-risky play. Victor Hedman was actually caught. One of the rare instances of a terrible play. We're playing four-on-four. He's got the puck at the point. He's got a chance to either shoot the puck, to get the puck behind the net, 
to continue to cycle, but he tries a cute pass from the point to the top of the circle. It's picked off. It's a breakaway going the other way. He can't have that. Now, that was an outlier last night. We handled it very well, but you cannot have that, especially when you're down two players. Just 20-second shifts, 30-second shifts. Let's play towards that instead of a minute, minute and a half for the defenseman, of course. But that's that's one of the keys here. Continue to play within the structure and play smart, and we're doing that. It's just we never say die, guys. It's so weird to have a team that all at once has a ton of skill but then also plays with desperation and commitment to a system like an underdog would. You would think at some point that the culture of complacency would kick in for Tampa. I don't think it has. Even in the first period last night where the Islanders are dominating the shot totals, you got a couple things going on. Number one, they're going to come out with great desperation and they're a really good team. Number two, you have a five-minute penalty kill that throws everything out of whack. So this is not a culture of complacency thing. I'm going to keep watching for it, but I'm not seeing it. What I hope to see is this time next week, we are talking about the Stanley Cup Finals. But there's a lot to be decided between now and then. Tomorrow night, Friday night, 8 p.m. Again, that's USA Network, not NBC Sports. Sunday, 3 p.m., that's on NBC. And then we get into Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday for the If Necessary games. All of those three are on NBC Sports. Can you taste it? I'm nervous as hell. It's so close. And if points healthy, we're the best team left. We have the expectations and the burden of being the best team left in the dance. Didn't really even get into the Western Conference today. All I'll say is if Vegas is well-rested, they should win that series. Do you know that the Dallas Stars have a negative goal differential in the playoffs? Negative. They're a negative five. That's crazy. I heard that on NHL Network this week. Vegas is the far better team. If they're healthy, if they're rested, they should win that series. But we'll see. Hockey has done crazier things. Appreciate you guys tuning in this week to the Joe Boltz Fan Podcast. Remember, Scuttlebucks will be available also every Thursday moving forward. So we'll have some double-up ESPN Tallahassee love every week until the Tampa Bay Lightning are done or they hoist the cup. My thanks to our sponsor, Bill Curry Ford, and my thanks to you for listening. Here we go, guys. Talk to you next week.